all of humanity had died and were standing before the great white throne of judgment. And St. Peter came out and he said, I want to separate uh, the men from the women. All the men over on this side and all the women, I want you to come with me. Follow me. God will be along in a minute to deal with uh, you men. In the meantime, I want you to form two lines. One line, all of those men who were boss in their family and made their wives submit and uh, kept their house under control and they had submissive wives. I want you men in one line. And all the men who were bossed around by their wives and couldn't keep their wives uh, in submission, I want you in the other line. A few minutes later, God shows up. Well, the line with the men who could not keep their wives in submission stretched into the horizon. Thousands of miles of men. And in the other line, the line that had the men who could keep their wives under submission and boss and control, there was one fellow. And so God was really upset and he's scolding the men in the line. He says, what is wrong with you men? I I created you in my image. I told you to be boss in your family. I told you to make your wives submit. And look at this, it's a disgrace. And over here is just one man, one of my sons. And he says, son, how, how did you manage to be the only one in this line? He says, I don't know, Lord, my wife told me to wait here. Oh my gosh, submission. Human beings have had problems with submission in general since the Garden of Eden. In fact, we could say that the the story of the Garden is about a refusal on the part of humanity, male and female, to submit to the will of God. And we've been looking at the the book of Ephesians, and in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is giving us the grammar of the Gospel. He's telling us God is writing a grammar of Gospel truth so that people can be transformed and that we can then transform the world into a a new humanity. And so the way the Gospel grammar works out, uh, if you've been tracking along, and I know it's hard to keep all the moving parts in places, but that's uh, what I'm here for to try to help you. In the previous verses, verse 18, he gives a command. He says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then following that imperative command, he gives four participial phrases. Now, don't get all concerned about the the participles and verbs and all that stuff. Basically, what he says is this. Be filled with the Spirit, and here are four consequences of being filled with the Spirit. One, addressing, there's the participle, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Number three, giving thanks to the Lord always, to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the consequence of being filled with the Spirit 
is that we will have a joyful singing, sometimes lamenting, sometimes uh, broken, but that there will be a song, a, mo- a melody, a melodiousness that characterizes a harmony that characterizes the Christian community, this new humanity. We will address each other in this way. Another characteristic is that we will be thankful. Thankful for all kinds of things. Thankful in all things. Not thanking God for evil. Not thanking God for cancer and for tsunamis and for earthquakes in Nepal. But thanking God for His mercy and grace and love and kindness in these things. And finally, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've had problems with submission. And before we can get down into the weeds of uh, wives and submitting to their husbands, husbands loving wives, children obeying parents, employees and employers and all the stuff that they do, before you can get down into the uh, details, you have to understand what submission means. And so I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about just verse 21 and make some connections to a few of the other verses. Then next week, with Madi V's permission, I'll talk about uh, wives submitting to their husbands. (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk about submission in general. We're going to do it this way. Uh, We're going to say what it is and what it is not. I'm going to go through this rather quickly. What it is and what it is not, first of all. Then, uh, why we need it, why we need to understand what submission is, and finally, how do you live this life of what we're going to call mutual submission. Now, this may be new to some of you, and and some of you, that's going to challenge you. I I know that, that many people have presuppositions about submission. There's been a lot of bad teaching about it. Um, and so I'm going to give you the right, uh, the right way to look at it. Uh, at least a, a I think what is a biblical way to look at it, okay? What it is not and what it is. Uh, Listen carefully. Submission is not subordination, inferiority, rank, or privilege, or any other word that has to do with those. It is not Subordination, inferiority, rank, or privilege. Paul has already gone to uh, lengths to make this clear. Paul and Jesus and the Bible in general has been called misogynist. That it has a a gripe or a, a bent against women. Wants to suppress women. And nothing is more liberating than this Bible. Old and New Testament. Nothing is more liberating for women for children, and for servants than what is written in this book. There is not another kind of literature under the face of the earth that liberates people the way this book does. And so it is not about subordination. Paul has gone to links. Listen quickly. Let me give you a few. Ephesians chapter 2. Now in Christ, you who were once far off, he's talking about the Gentile people, once you were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He Himself, listen, He Himself is our peace. He has made both one. He took the two great divisions of humanity, Jew and Gentile, and He made them one new people. One new humanity. He goes on. 
In place of two, I've made one. So, making peace. Making peace between peoples. Making peace between people and God. I've broken down the wall of hostility. And he says this, Jesus did it in His flesh. In other words, His death on the cross obliterated every, every single thing that separates human beings from one another. That He might create himself in Himself. Here He just says it right out. One new humanity in place of the two. Then in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now he's not saying that now there's everybody's androgynous, that there's no sex, there's no male, female, no gender. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that those distinctions between people that separate and cause conflict have been removed. And finally something we hold dear in our denomination, something that we would go to the, to the death for, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in one Spirit. All of you have been baptized into one Spirit. Jews, Greeks, slave and free, all made to drink from one Spirit. From one well of water, we are all welcome to drink. There is a oneness to us. So it is not subordination, inferiority, rank, or privilege. It is, here's the contrast, it is about the teaching of Jesus Christ and the apostolic uh, corpus, the body, the body of teaching of the apostles in the New Testament. And here I'm going to paraphrase Dr. John Stott. Stott puts it in three basic categories, three truths that are taught in Scripture. And this is what submission is. It is about dignity, it is about equality, and it is about unity. It is about dignity, equality, and unity. Listen carefully. I'm going to go through these quick. It is about dignity. Dignity of womanhood. Dignity of childhood. Dignity of servanthood. Three marginalized groups of people. Womanhood, half the population. Childhood, perhaps more, and servanthood. And let me tell you all, I don't care how much money you have or how high and mighty you think you are. We are all servants to somebody. Womanhood, childhood, servanthood. How do we know this? Womanhood, Jesus Christ broke down every barrier. He had women in His tightest circle. He had women that followed. He had women that He taught and then commissioned to teach other people, both men and women. He had women theologians in His group of disciples. Women were the first to witness His resurrection. Women were the first commissioned to preach the Gospel. Amen? 
The first to preach. The first to testify. The first to see His resurrection and be commissioned by Him to do so. And children, suffer the little children to come and meet. Do not forbid them. Do not hinder them. Why? For of such is the kingdom of God. Let them come to Me. And servants, listen folks, your Savior, the God you worship, the Savior of our soul, was a common laborer. He had calluses on His hands. He had dirt under His fingernails. He was rough. He was earthy. And He was poor. Desperately poor. In fact, He was so poor that there was nowhere to bury Him. He had to be buried in a borrowed grave and He died naked with nothing. They took His one little shred of of clothing and they cast lots for it. Jesus exalted the lowest caste, the lowest class of people. Those of you that work like I have and you have many of you, we work sometimes in mundane jobs. We wonder what is our job worth? Jesus exalted servanthood, exalted childhood, exalted women. He brought them back up from an oppressed culture. And He means to do that in the new humanity. He means to do it in Christ the King. He needs to, means to do it in America. He means to do it throughout the world. And in the new creation, all of those things that have separated us, He means to break them down. So it is about the apostolic teaching of dignity, equality, and unity. Equality of all humanity. Irrespective of race, class, culture, gender, or age. Why? Because Jesus came to restore the Imago Dei, the image of God that was so distorted and so broken in the fall. He came to restore that and make it what it is so that He created them. What does the Bible say, folks? He created them male and female. In the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them to to be the perfect image of Him. Now, don't. I'm, I'm going to press some of you. Many of you were told that men complement women or, or complete women. Or women, well, yeah, that too. Women complete men. Yes? Have you heard that? No. That is not the meaning of the word Azer Kenegdo. Uh, We'll look at that next week. Men don't complete what is incomplete. That's rocky theology. I got gaps. You got gaps. We got to fill the gaps, right? Adrian! If you look at your spouse as a gap filler, then you have, you've married a tube of caulk. Now, granted, some... Some are tubes of cock. All right. Uh, that is not the idea. Adam was not incomplete. And it wasn't that he was incomplete in the image of God. It was that, that, that Adam and Eve together did something 100%, 100% that the two of them could not do alone. 
They magnified by a geometric progression something that is marvelous. And again, we'll talk about that next week. So the image of God is restored. He created man in the image of God, male and female. He created them, both to reflect His image. And finally, the unity of all believers. We already read it. We all belong to one body. We are all stones in one temple. Yes, we are all sheep in one what? Flock. We are all branches of what? One vine. Do you see it? Dignity, equality, and unity. So it's not about subordination. It is about the teaching of the, of the apostolic and, and teaching of the New Testament Jesus. Secondly, and now we're going to get, it's going to get a little more touchy, and I hope none of you get mad, but if you do, you can blame the Bible. It's not about authority. It's not about who gets the final word. I have heard this so much. And look, Monty V and I had a, had a, a, a very distressed marriage. I haven't made any bones about that in my time here at Christ the King. We had a lot of trouble in our marriage. And sometimes we still do. We still fight. We fight better than anybody in this room. We've had more practice and we do it well. But I have read, I can't tell you how many books I've read on marriage. And a lot of them interpret these verses about particularly the woman submitting as somebody in your family has got to have authority so the man has the final word. Well, that is not what the Apostle is talking about. Again, we'll talk about it next week. I'm saying all this because I really want you to come back next week. Then I have some time off and you can be mad for some... It's not about authority. It's not about who gets the final word. Listen again, I'm going to paraphrase Dr. Stott. When Paul is describing the duties of husbands, listen, husbands, parents, and masters, he's doing it under this general umbrella of mutual submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at what it says, verse 21. When Paul is describing the duties of husbands, parents, and masters, these are the ones with authority. When he does this, he in no case is it authority which he tells them to exercise. Listen, he's not telling them, exercise your authority, husband. Exercise your authority, uh, parent. Exercise your authority, boss or master. It's not that. On the contrary, listen to what Stott says. On the contrary, explicitly or implicitly, he warns them against the improper use of authority. He forbids them to exploit their position. He urges them instead to remember their responsibilities and the other party's rights. So Paul is saying it's not about authority, it is about responsibility. Not about authority is about responsibility. How do you know? Because the text says so. It says submit as to Christ. Obey in the Lord as to Christ. That's our responsibility. Mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our responsibility then, folks, is to live a life, listen, to live a life 
characterized by humility, by deference to another, out of respect for other people, sacrificing for other people, serving other people, loving other people at our own expense. You see, Jesus said, it's nothing to love those that love you. Even the Gentiles, even the sinners, even the Pharisees. Everybody does that. Love those that love you. Where is the righteousness in that? Love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. He's saying, now, now you've done something. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Not about authority. is about responsibility. Thirdly, quickly, it's not unconditional. Submission is not unconditional. If you have unconditional submission, you just obey. How many times, look, now when a child is three years old and the child says, I want to drive the car, and you say, no, you can't drive the car, you're too little, and, and the child says, why? What do you say? You say, because I told you so. You don't explain all of the rules of driving and how their feet won't really reach the pedals and how they won't be able to see over the steering wheel and what other people, while you'll go to jail for letting them. You You don't go into all of that. You just tell them, no, I said so. And there's a certain kind of submission where you say, you know what, just because I said so. But in the Bible, that is not, listen carefully, That is not the kind of submission that God is asking of you. He's not asking that of you to submit to Him unconditionally. Just because He said, just because He's God. That is having too transcendent, too high a view of God. I would say that if you have that view, it's actually too low a view of God. An unconditional submission to authority, unconditional obedience gives us what? What do you see at the end of that continuum? Come on everybody, we're in a Jewish synagogue. What do you see at the end of that continuum? You see Nazis at the end of that continuum. Whose defense at Nuremberg was what? I'm just following orders. That's what you get. That's what you get when you have some crazy people in the Middle East strapping bombs to, to, to young men and women and children and sending them out and saying, you've got to obey unconditionally. Allah, you have got to give your life. Yes? You get unconditional submission. You get terror and hate and destruction beyond belief. God asks you to submit to Him on this condition on this condition that He is worthy of that submission. Because why? He's loving, He's gracious, He's omnipotent, He knows all things, He has omniscient, He knows all things, omnipotent, He has all power. That He's good and great, that His character is on display Romans chapter 1, starting in around verse 18, his character is on display and that it is such that we should be giving thanks. Every man, woman, and child, not regardless of whether you're Christian or not. 
That humanity should be giving thanks because God is on display as good and gracious and kind. Yes? Do you see that? That's the condition. And that we, we are also supposed to not submit unconditionally. Wives should never submit to their husbands unconditionally. Neither should children, neither should servants. The condition is that the other person who you are, you are acting as you were made to act. You are being who God made you to be. You're filled with the Spirit. You're submitting yourself to Christ. You're obeying the Lord. That's where the conditions are. It's not unconditional. It is conditional. Based on the, con- on the character of God and who He's made you. Filling you with Holy Spirit. Okay, finally, last one, very quickly. This may cause you some problems. It's not about roles. How many of you have heard that? It's all about roles. In fact... I've read more books than all of you put together on marriage. I can say that because I know how many I've read. I was trying to save my marriage. And so I read everything I could get my hands on. And 99% of the books I read about marriage were about the problem in marriage is this. You've all have heard. The problem in marriage is this. You just don't know your roles. Husband's got to have his role. Wife's got to have her role. Children need to know their place. And if your family's in disarray, it's because you don't know your role. You don't know. You're not living your role. Who you're supposed to be in that family. And so we make up rules about what families are supposed to look like. Husband work. Wife stays at home. Look, if you want to stay at home, ladies, fine, great. The Bible does not teach that women must stay at home. They can if they want, but if they want to work and pursue a career, they are free to do so. If you want to talk more about it, we can do that after. I won't be here, I'm leaving, but I'll let someone else stay. (laughs) It's not about roles. It's not about, okay, here's how it's all supposed to look. The Bible simply does not give us that much information. It's not about roles. Why? Because both conservative and traditional roles saying wife stays at home, husband works, and all of that. That kind of thing, even that can be exploited, yes? Even the husband being the strong head, the boss of his family, make the wife submit. You've got to do what I say. I get the final word. Can you see where the problem is? Are you honest enough to say, yes, there's a promise, there's a problem with that? Unless you're married to Jesus Himself... You're going to have a problem with that because every one of us acts how? Selfishly. Self-interest. We'll talk about that in a second. And what about the secular view? What about the view that we are inundated with now? There's no distinction. Everything's egalitarian. Men and women are equal. Everything's the same. You can do whatever you want. And you have to pursue self-realization. And you have to make yourself happy, even if it's at the expense of your husband, even if it's at the expense of your children, even if it's at the expense of everything else. You are free to pursue what makes you happy. And so you have families that are in total disarray because of both the problems with the traditional and conservative view, which says the problem is roles, 
And I would argue that the egalitarian view, the secular view, also overemphasizes roles by dis- in distinguishing them. Yes? Do you see where I'm going? I know you've got to wake up and kind of track with this, but please follow this. So it's not about roles, folks. It is about submission, is about finding God's identity for you. How has He made you? What are you built for? What is your purpose? And then submitting yourself to God in that and serving others, even at your own expense. In every station of life. If you're a wife, you may have to sacrifice for the sake of your children and your husband. Yes? Say yes, ladies. If you're a husband, you are going to have to sacrifice for you. It's going to cost you, and next week I'm going to tell you what the cost is, and some of you may not like it. So ladies, bring your, make them come. Make them submit. <laughs> Children, it's about finding your identity in your family. Instead of rebelling and pushing back at everything your parents say. And workers, employees, you know what it's like to be in a job that where you're just banging your head against the wall constantly? And it, I had employees. At one time I had up to 14 employees. That's not very many, but when you're the boss, that's a lot. And it was hard. It was like herding cats. I used to say, you know, I'd love my business if I just didn't have to have employees or clients. <laughs> I'd love what I do. Okay, so it's not about roles. It is about finding your God-created identity and purpose and then living in that, submitting to that. Listen again. Sinclair Ferguson. Mutual submission does not mean that there's no authority structure in the life of the church or the family, but rather, listen carefully, folks. He's not saying that there's not any structure at all. There is structure, Paul goes on to define what that is. But it's under this rubric of mutual submission, understanding what, because why? How do you you learn the meaning of a word? What is the magic formula? Say context. Context. Everybody out loud. Context. Context gives meaning words. Context. And so Paul is saying, mutual submission, what this word submission means here, is what it means everywhere else in the next couple of lines I'm about to say. Are you with me? He's giving us the definition. So you've got to get this down now. Otherwise, wives, you'll be oppressed by your husbands. Children won't be able to trust your parents. And employees, we should riot. We should strike. Employers and employees. Conflict, conflict, conflict. Do you see it? He's saying, get this, understand this, and the rest of it is going to happen. It's going to be beautiful and safe. Okay. Mutual submission does not mean there's no authority structure in the life of the church, Dr. Ferguson, but rather in personal relationships. Each member, listen, each member regards the other as more important than themselves. Philippians chapter 2. In other words, there's a posture, an attitude in the Spirit-filled Christian, the Christian that is filled with Holy Spirit. There's a posture, an attitude, a disposition towards everyone around them, of deep humility, deference, 
deference to others, respect towards others, a whole posture and attitude of how can I make him or her better than me? How can I make his or her life shine? How can I glorify that person? How can I grease the skids for them so that their life shines brighter than mine? Do you see it? Okay. Why do we need it? Very quickly, let me finish with this in the the last part. Why we need it and and how to live it. Why we need it. The word submission comes from the Greek word hupotasso. It means, it's a military term. We have a lot of military guys here. You know what it is to, uh, you know, your commander comes up and he says, line up or whatever it is, get in your ranks or whatever. It means that. It means line up, get in formation because we're going to parade or we're going to march or we're going to go out on this drill or we're going to go attack that bad guys, whatever it is, he's calling people together. And our military people understand this probably better than some of our our civilians, but all of you have had a job, I hope you've worked, and you know what it is to have to answer to somebody else and have someone in authority over you. And so hupotasso is this term meaning line up, get in a cohort, a brigade, a platoon, whatever the thing is, you get in this group so that you can together create a force against the enemy to drive ahead, to attack, to advance, to resist an attack, to work cooperatively. In other words, the, the parts are stronger. The, 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 the cooperative part, the, the multitude, the many, are more powerful together than they are alone. And for that purpose, for that reason, submission is necessary so that we can link arms, join each other back to back if we need to, to ward off the enemies, or if we're advancing, to line up in ranks together so we can storm what? The gates of hell that are arrayed against us. Paul's going to talk about that later, the spiritual warfare that comes in a a few weeks. This is not instinctive, folks, especially in America, where everything's about the individual, the individual, the individual. This is why church, look, you may not like church, you may not, I go to church once in a while, you know, I can listen to sermons on TV. I can listen to sermons on the radio. I can get, you know, the, the podcasts. All good, fine, listen to all the, I listen to a lot of podcasts. But this is unique when you come together and you submit yourself to one another and you come to a common table, share a common loaf, drink from a common, bring your pain, your hurts, your fears, your, your successes, your glories, and you have people to share them with. We become stronger together than we are apart. It's not instinctive. Why do you need it? Because it destroys the one thing that plagues us all, and that is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is our disease. Find a relationship that's in trouble, and at the center of it will be the self-centeredness of not one, but how many in the relationship? All. 
Self-centeredness is it the problem. If there's a problem, look for self-centeredness. Non-self-centeredness is not normal. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit and this. Power of Holy Spirit and this. Power of Holy Spirit and this. I've said it three times. Power of Holy Spirit and this. You willing to submit yourself to God. Not your spouse. I cannot tell you how many spouses, and I was one of them, so mea culpa. How many spouses? But you don't know. It's her fault. It's her problem. And let me tell you, don't even come see me. Because the minute you say that, every red flag in my life goes up. I'm the worst marriage counselor there is. Because when I hear anyone say, it's not my fault, or it's 90% their fault, or it's 95% their fault, or it's 99% their fault, you know what? You can't fix 1% of their faults, can you? Right? Yes? You can't fix even 1%. But I can tell you this, you can fix that little 1% of your problem if you're willing to submit to God and Christ. Yes? And so if you will get off this other problem, oh, it's them, it's them, it's them, you don't know what they did to me, you know what, I don't need to know, because I know what they did to Jesus, and He was 100%. Yes? 100%. And so if that man, that glorious figure, that person, 100%, could come down and say, look, I want you to submit to one another. I want you to be deferential to one another. You know what? I want, you know what I'm going to say? Yes, sir. Folks, stop making excuses, will you? It's not the other person. It's you. You deal with you and everything else will fall into place. Listen to this. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Keller and then I'm going to finish. He says this in his book, I've read all these books on marriage and I can only recommend two. Because almost all of them, all of them talk about roles and about techniques. Here's what you need to do. You need to have a date night. You need to buy flowers. You need to have your husband's uh, uh, dinner cooked. You know, like the guy that went to see his pastor and he goes and he says, Pastor, my wife won't submit. And the pastor says, well, you know what? She's got to submit. And I'm going to show you. Sit down here. And he pulls out his big Bible and he goes through and he just goes through Scripture after Scripture. Wife's got to submit. Wife's got to submit. And the guy's all getting all excited. Yeah, she's got to submit. She's got to submit. And the pastor says, all right, go home. And you tell your wife. She's got to submit. And you show her these Bible verses. So he goes home and he says, wife, get in here. I've got to talk to you. You know, too long, I'm the boss in this family, and I'm the head, and I'm the ramrod in this house, and you've got to submit to me. And here's what I'm demanding. I want you to get upstairs right now and get my slippers and bring them down here. And I want my food on the table in the next ten minutes, and I want it hot, and I want it ready. And then after that, I'm going out to the bar with my friends, and I'm going to stay out all night, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to do whatever I want. And when I come home, you better keep your mouth shut. And furthermore, guess who's going to put out my clothes tomorrow morning, ironed and ready for me to go? And she says, the undertaker. 
like Jimmy Durante, you know, I got a million of them. It's just wait. All right. Listen to Keller. Paul assumes a spirit-filled life to be one of removing one's self from the center. Folks, if you're struggling with self-centeredness, that means that you are not submitting to Christ. Somebody, please say amen. That is the problem. And if you can't admit it, and if you're struggling, no, it's my wife's point, no, it's my husband's point, no, it's my children, no, it's my boss, no, it's my job, no, it's my this, no, you're going to get no sympathy from me. Now, I'm not going to give... Uh, Maybe you can get some sympathy from Gary. Gary, will you give him some sympathy? Maybe. (laughs) Gary's a sweetie. All right. You're going to get no sympathy from me, so go see Gary. I don't want to hear about all those problems. Submit to Jesus Christ. Then see. Start there. Yes? Start there. I got a terrible marriage. Start with submitting yourself to Jesus. I got kids that are off the rails. I did. Start there. Oh, Jesus Christ, I submit my lay my life at your feet. You got a lousy job and a lousy boss. Start with, oh, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. And then let the chips fall where they may. Paul assumes the Spirit-filled life to be one of removing oneself from the center of relationships and deferring to others, which sets the stage. Listen, folks, it sets the stage for wives' biblical submission and respect for their husbands. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Children obeying, listening, paying attention to their parents. Employees working well, respecting their employer, and employers treating their workers with dignity and respect. That's out of The Meaning of Marriage by Kellen. The two books that I can recommend, The Meaning of Marriage and Intimate Allies by Dan Allender, Uh, I recommend those regularly. I've read them many times, and I'll tell you why. Because it's not about technique, it's not about role, it's not about that. It's about idolatry. It's about self-centeredness. Both men go at it hard throughout the book, and that's where the problem lies, and that's the best marriage advice that anybody can give you. How do you live it? Very quickly, I think the key is in verse 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it. And he goes on and on and on. And then he gets down to verse 32. And he says, this mystery is profound. But I'm not speaking about all that husband-wife stuff. I'm speaking about this. I'm speaking about Christ. And you, the church, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ and the church. How do you live it, folks? You live it by seeing yourself as the broken, rebellious, the person who is self-centered and would do everything in their power to remain self-centered. And out of heaven itself comes this man, this God, who comes down and takes on human flesh. And He doesn't go out and look for a princess, and He doesn't go out and look for a virgin, and He doesn't go out and look for uh, the, the queen of Sheba. He goes out and He finds a harlot by the side of the road, filthy and unclean. And He picks her out of the gutter, and He cleans her up, and He marries her. 
And when you see yourself as that person, that harlot, that weak and broken person in the gutter, when that falls down and gets down into the center of your bones, when you see you there, and Him, this, this prince, prince Charming, forget about it. He's better than any Prince Charming. He's the God of heaven and earth. He could have had anybody He wanted. And He chose me. I don't know why. How can I then not submit to that and live my life in love and deference and service and sacrifice to everyone else? Do you see it? Anything less is not the Gospel, folks. It's just not Christianity. Only Christianity does this. Only Christianity has Jesus Christ standing and saying, Me for you. Me for you. When that becomes part of your life, everything changes. Will you do it? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this time together. Thank You for letting us uh, delve deeply into things that sometimes touch us at the most raw part of our being. But I pray, Father, that we will submit to You. And in so doing, submit to one another out of deference and love and reverence for Christ our Lord. I pray You'll help us do it, Father. We need Your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, Amen.